0: Where are we going?
1: Back in time.
2: Somewhere we'll have the advantage.
3: Hello and welcome once again to The Cinephiles, where this week we are continuing our exploration of our favorite James Bond film, Skyfall. My name is Steve Morris. I'm a filmmaker and directing
2: instructor in Los Angeles, California. Hello, everyone. My name is John Roque. I'm a writer, producer, and host in uh, San Diego, California. And I think we should just jump right in because I am excited
3: to get back to Bond. Let's do it. Let's go. Um, and where we are, we ju- where we left James Bond, he had just, uh, I will say, hooked up with Man. the beautiful Severin uh, on the boat heading off to meet the bad guy. And we cut away from there back to London where... In a very disturbing way, we are watching video footage that that is hauntingly real of one of the agents that who's named being dragged away and killed. Yeah, yeah.
2: Pretty unsettling stuff to see the stakes here um, laid out for us in case we had forgotten or gotten caught up with the fact that Bond had, had just had sex with a beautiful woman, you know.
1: The prime
3: minister continues to express public support for MI6. Well, the opposition has taken the position.
1: Has taken the position where a bunch of antiquated bloody idiots fighting a war we don't understand and
3: can't possibly win. And, of course, M is there and pushes back on that, and he says... The Prime Minister's ordered an inquiry. You'll have to appear.
0: Oh, standing in the stocks at midday.
3: Who's antiquated now? (laughs) And and here's the thing. Again, I'm totally Team Mallory. Like, Yeah, you're understanding it. it. Well, I mean, of course, if there was a huge disaster at the cia they would have to go in front of a committee in congress right. you know what i mean like yeah, yeah, yeah. i mean you, you, you can't just you know i don't want our intelligence agencies just you know putting things under the rug and not having any oversight
2: you got to have system of checks and balances you're right exactly but you also expect them to push back so the back and forth between both of them here works effectively totally. for what it is and what we're going to see mallory become is very interesting and when we get to that um i would be curious to have the conversation with you
1: We can't keep working in the shadows. There are no more shadows.
0: You don't get this, do you? Whoever's behind this, whoever's doing it, he knows us. He's one of us. He comes from the same place as Bond. The place you say doesn't exist. The shadows.
2: Yeah, there you go.
3: Well, and I, I I love it's funny. There's a, there was a Batman annual from the '80s, mm-hmm, which probably I haven't read it in years, but I, I love the idea. Which was called I think it was called The Player on the Other Side. Mm-hmm. And what it was was basically, eventually, you're going to come up against your mirror image, the person who plays exactly like you. And they created a villain who has exactly Batman's origin story: parents oh. murdered in front of him, and yeah. he has devoted himself basically to become the greatest bad guy in exactly the way that Batman had devoted himself to become the Revenger, you know? Yeah, yeah. Like his parents, I think, were killed by cops, maybe by Jim Gordon yeah, or his father or something like that. I don't remember, it's a long time. And what I like about the reason I bring it up, that's what we're setting up here, mm-hmm. you know, is Bond is gonna face his alternate self, you know? Yeah, yeah. And as we're sailing again, beautiful shot of sailing, We have just music that I think Thomas Newman did a perfect job of blending the classicness of old Bond and making it all more modern. Yeah. Agreed. Um, And here's a name that I had never heard of. Have you ever heard of the name Derek Watkins? (laughs) No. Me neither. Well, (laughs) let me tell you who Derek Watkins is. He's a jazz trumpeter. Yes. He's had sessions with Eric Clapton, Elton John, barbara streisand he played on beatles albums okay and the reason i am bringing him up is that he played on every single bond movie from dr no to skyfall wow okay that's 50 years and he died very shortly after recording the soundtrack for skyfall
2: wow isn't that amazing i I mean you know um you we talk where this whole film is talking about right old school stuff or people who've been around a long time doing something and have they lost the touch as the world moved on but people always love to have those tent poles in the ground i think and so having someone come back totally. consistently for so long i think speaks volumes at how the the people involved in this franchise approach this franchise you know
3: so and here's if you just want to hear you know why this guy guy is worthy of our respect yeah. Dizzy Gillespie one of the great trumpeters of all time yeah. called him Mr. Lead. Wow. He was the lead trumpeter. <laughs> that's so that's some respect right there. Yeah, yeah. Uh Bond comes out on deck always looking stylish mm. the shot of uh Severin is gorgeous and he flips the switch on that little tiny radio tracker. Mm. And then she says,
2: "It's not too late. We could turn back now."
3: And that is when we hear the guns cock behind them. I wouldn't be so sure.
2: <laughs> Which you, Bond, is suspected. I would imagine, right? He knew what he was getting in for. He knew this was going to be a, a, a trip over there, and they were going to be forced to go. I would imagine.
3: There, there, there is such a Bond strategy of, "I am going to throw myself into an impossible situation." Yeah. And just trust that I'm gonna find my way out of it, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um uh they're heading to this another ridiculous amazing set, which is this wrecked city on an island. This is based on a real island off the coast of Japan called Hashima.
2: Oh, really? Okay.
3: And the idea came because Daniel Craig saw a documentary on Hashima yeah. and brought it to the images to their attention. And that's how this thing got built. Huh. It sounds like, just from listening, that Daniel Craig was really involved in this as mm-hmm. a as a creator, you not just as an actor. Yeah. And then we have them walking through this island, both of them handcuffed. Shots, are, of course, are gorgeous. And what we hear is that the bad guy, who we haven't met yet, that he did this. He wanted the island, so he caused yeah. a panic and had everybody flee the
2: island so that he could take over. Yeah, she's given us a little window into how this guy operates. You said, you know, he created something on the computer and ha- and just was able to fool everybody about it. That's how quickly it happened. And certainly, you know, that's the, kind of the beginning of the conversations of power of technology uh, at that time. And look how quickly in 10 years, Steve, we're having, you know, conversations about AI and conversations about how computers can take over the world and what have you. And we're seeing someone take over a social media platform and do whatever they want with it. So, you know, certainly the, the people who have the ability to have access to technology and to the Internet and to computers here can wreck our lives with the with the click of a few buttons, which is scary to think about. Terrifying. Kind of new now at, at back then, right? Yeah.
3: Does he always get what he wants?
2: More than you know.
3: And as they separate them, the last thing she says is. I'm sorry. Right. You and I had a conversation, and we did our live show on Iron Man Three mm-hmm. about whether or not Pepper was attracted to the Guy Pierce character. And you uh, brought up the shot of him kissing her on the cheek and her little turn to him. Yeah, for it, it, to point out that yes, if it, you as an actor and me as an editor, we both felt that shot shows that she is attracted to him. Absolutely. Yeah. For me, her. I'm sorry. The more than you know, and the I'm sorry says to me that this was a setup that's what i see that she oh that's that silva sent her to get bond and bring him here and she knew that this was going to
2: happen right yes i know that she knows this is going to happen which is why but her affection for him is what makes her say to him yes we can turn around but yeah more than you know is the is the tell uh, in that dial, in that exchange, because she's essentially saying, you know, he's controlled her. She's witnessed horrible things that he's done. Yeah. Um, and because of how she's been abused in this in the this, uh, sex trade, he might have even came off as someone like um, Travis Bickle, who was trying to save her from this life. But right. all he did was move her from that life into this life and knowing that she could right. be controlled and, and did that to her. So, yeah, we see that. And great delivery by uh, by
3: her as well with that line. And we cut to Bond tied to a chair in this crazy room that's filled with computers and servers. But it's all kind of, it's like the anti-MI6 uh, headquarters, you know? And then we get hmm. this entrance. Yeah. I mean, you know, give your bad guy an entrance. <laughs> and, like the elevator comes down. Javier oh. Bardem comes out. Yeah. It's all in one shot. And so, by the way, he was really nervous about delivering this yeah. really long monologue, all in one shot, walking towards Bond. Wow. And here's what he did. I find this fascinating. Okay, He had the entire script and his entire part translated into Spanish, which wow. is his original language. Yeah, of course. Studied the script in Spanish Ooh. and then offered rewrites to this speech in particular in Spanish, which they then translated back to English.
2: That's awesome. Isn't it? Yeah, because f- f- he wants to understand it. So he wants Stop. to have it translated in Spanish. Then he can find the nuances in it and make adjustments and then translate that to English. That makes so much sense. Why not? Right? Yeah. I, I, I love that. I also love
3: that it, I was watching. I'm like, his his outfit is striking because he's wearing kind of a white tan sort of suit with a darker shirt. And I suddenly went, oh, Bond's sitting there in a tux in the black suit with a white shirt. Right. He's in white with a dark shirt. And I'm like, oh, they are literally mirror opposites. It's like spy versus spy with the black spy and the white. You know what I
2: mean? Like, That's a great point. But also their energies, right? I mean, he comes out and he's a much more fluid energy, you know? And it's – whereas Bond is more rigid and more like, you know, the sharper edges, here comes the uh, – that's what I would say fluid. The the movement of his is very light as he yeah. walks towards Bond. It's very in control and so he's having, you know, he's, he knows he's in control so he can allow himself to relax and have fun. And, and as a first appearance and the striking blonde hair, you know, considering, uh, Javier Bardem is originally, you know, has uh, jet black hair. So it's, it's a nice contrast to bond, even the bond is blonde as well, the dirty blonde, his is more like kind of put upon, you know? So it's so interesting. Um,
3: well, and speaking of the blonde, that is Javier's idea. Oh really? Um, yeah, he said I have this idea for look. He there's uh, he has different eye color, the blonde hair, right. and Sam Mendes went absolutely not. No, that's not that's not what I see for this guy. And so they go to do a screen test. <laughs> and how does Javier show up to it? He got his hair dyed, he got some <laughs> uh, contact lenses, and he came in. And Sam Mendes just goes. I'm wrong. (laughs) You're right.
2: That's what this character is. You gotta trust your actors when you cast the great ones, man.
3: Absolutely. And man, he. Well, what's funny too is the other Javier Bardem movie that we did is No Country for Old Men, where he also plays a fucking terrifying bad guy. Yes, he does. And they are totally unalike.
2: Yeah. 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 They're completely different characters. Well, because one is one is evil because he wants to be evil. And the other one is doing a job, right? So there are two different, like our perspective is that he's an evil guy, but he has a moral code that he lives by. And he has a code that he does things by. So where he's only evil because compared to the antagon- to the uh, protagonist, who is evil himself, by the way, Josh Brolin for stealing the money and running mm-hmm. away and, you know, screwing and, and being mistreating his wife, you know, there's a lot that's not good about Josh Brolin's character. So by comparison, he uh, Bardem is seen as evil. Bardem is doing a job. Yeah. You know? Well, that's because Bar- the, 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 that character is—he doesn't
3: care. You right, know what right. I mean? Like that's he, He's, he's not like a dog in the hunt. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. There's not. There's no passion in him. He's like, this is my job. And part of him not caring is, I don't care if I kill people. Right. I have no. There's no emotional thing about killing people at all. This guy's super emotional and super yeah. passionate and filled with all sorts of pain and anger and you know. Yeah, absolutely. All, all sorts of stuff, yeah. and he says, "My grandmother had an
1: island. Nothing to boast of. You could walk around it in an hour, but still,
3: it was it was a paradise for us." So I think this whole speech, metaphorically, is beautiful well, because okay. we start with you know the island is a paradise the world is a paradise one summer we went for a visit and
1: discovered the place had been infested
3: with rats and it's like i think this is his he starts with mi6 and believes in the cause it's a Mm. paradise i'm fighting for the right thing we do right things m who maybe is his grandmother on some level or is obviously a mother figure for him yeah yeah like he trusts her completely, and then he realizes it's filled with rats. Yeah. So how do you get rats off an island? My grandmother showed me.
1: We buried an oil drum and hinged the lid. Then we wired coconut to the lid as bait, and the rats would come for the coconut. And, bong, 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 they would fall into the drum.
3: I think this image of the rats and the drum, it's such a great
2: yeah, visual. Yeah, I mean, from the beginning, because first of all, in your mind, you're like, well, how many rats were there if they're just one drum? You know what I'm saying? Yeah I, had that, really yeah, yeah, I had that thought too. But, you know, as someone who's just recently killed a bunch of rats in my backyard, we had to set some traps, which is one of the newest experiences I've had living here. Um, and a recent one, by the way, we haven't had rats for two or three years that I've lived here. We just started dealing with them. They are pesky little fuckers. And so. Yeah, they are. To catch them and then to you know dispose of them, it's a really unsettling thing to see a dead creature like that, and to think about multitudes of them. And then what he tells the story of putting them in the drum, and then you know you don't dump them in the ocean or anything; you just let them eventually starve so long that they start eating each other, right? And so there's a lot of metaphors going on with that idea of uh, putting people into a basket, so to speak, and they'll eventually turn on each other or a drum, and they'll turn on each other and eat each other up until. Two are left, so it's a really stark image that, of course, carries throughout the rest of the movie. So it's a fantastic opening monologue for a villain to tell, and I don't know if any of it is true, and I don't know what island his grandmother would have had. You know, I, so, I, I don't know either. Right? Yeah. I, you know, him saying it's you know not
3: much of an island, you can walk in it in an hour. I'm like, it sounds like a pretty big island that you that you own. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. It, it also reminds me as I think about the rats and the people making the rats fight each other. Yeah. Is I go to in um the Clifford Odette's play Waiting for Lefty, oh, there's, yeah. there's a great monologue of the guy who had gone off to World War One mm-hmm. and was firing his rifle and suddenly realized, you know who I was aiming my rifle at is some poor, dumb schlub just like me who got sold this bill of goods by his com- government to go off and fight for their cause. Yeah. And that the you know and the uh, uh, you know that whole play is all about fighting back against the powers that be. And so I go like, oh, he was sent off to China, I think he was in Hong Kong, right? And told that these are the bad guys. And then he and it's like, no, he's just the rats. It's the people that put them in the drum that are the you know what I mean? Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then what do you kill them?
1: No, you take them and release them into the trees. But now they don't
2: eat coconut anymore.
1: No, they only eat rat. You have changed their nature.
2: But this is the beginning of the faulty logic of Silva here, right? Because there aren't any other rats but those two rats. So how are they going to get more rats? So eventually they're going to have to find other food source. So just like you deprived them of food source of coconut, then you deprived them of the food source of rat because they ate it all. If they don't find other rats, they're going to have to find another food source and then develop a different um, nature. So, yeah, you change their nature momentarily, but not really. You know, it's funny. So, one of the things that
3: Sam Mendez mentioned, I think, mm-hmm. in one of the commentary tracks, movie that he loved is Dark Knight. Oh, yeah. Uh, and he oh, yeah. and that movie, in a lot of ways, is an inspiration for this movie. Yeah. And what I hadn't occurred to me until you just said that is yeah. that both the Joker and Silva have that same faulty logic, because what both of them are saying is I predict the world is like this. Once once you take away all the bullshit, you're going to do horrible things because you're all horrible people. And and you have that scene with the, the ferry boat. Right. And it doesn't go the way that Joker thinks it's going to go. Right. And Batman, although there's similarities between Batman and Joker, he actually isn't a good guy. Right. I mean, he isn't going to turn into a bad guy. And that the this moment, what Silva is saying is you and I are the same mm-hmm. and that you will make the same choices that I made because he needs to justify who he's become. Of course. You, you know what I mean? Yeah. And so you're, you're, and you're totally right. That logic is faulty because that's not who Bond is, and Bond's not going to make those choices. Right.
2: Exactly. He's trying to recruit him onto his side, which I always think at times is a bit of a faulty cliche to see. And not look, it works really well here. I'm not bashing the film, but um, you know we've seen that so many times. So they try to lure them over. You can't lure someone over who hasn't been through the things you've been through or comparable things that broke them the way that this thing broke you, which we find out later when he's telling M the story of his torture. That's the difference, you know? And of course, he's conveniently leaving out the parts that where we find out from M that he went on as, he went rogue, right? Just like Kurtz. Kurtz went rogue in Apocalypse Now, which is why they had to send some Willard to go kill him because he went rogue. Now, was he right to do the things that he was doing? Probably, but that's not the system he chose to be a part of. So eventually, the system is going to crush you because you decided to go rogue after taking part in the system. Unfortunately, that's how it works. Sadly.
3: Yep. Yep. Absolutely. And it ends this. This and this is all one shot. This whole speech ends with the two survivors. This is
1: what she made us.
3: I made my own choices.
1: Hmm. You think you did? That's her genius.
3: And the thing, and this is where I actually, where I also on this moment though, I go like, he's not wrong. You know,
2: yeah. You know that's what M does. Right. We've seen the examples already at the beginning of the film. Yep. Yeah.
3: And the whole scene changes when he kind of sits down in front of Bond. You're still clinging to your faith in that old woman. When all she does is lie to you. She never lied to me. No? No. <laughs> and then Silva reveals that he knows that he didn't actually pass those tests. Right, right. And I think the best moment as he goes through all of the tests that he failed, the last one is.
1: Psychological evaluation, alcohol and substance addiction indicated. Oof. Pathological rejection of authority based on unresolved childhood trauma. Subject is not approved for field duty and immediate suspension from service advised.
2: What is this if not betrayal? Yeah, because in his mind, right, just like, um, and this is really important to note, this is not a criticism, this is analysis, right? In his mind, he thinks because M betrayed him, M is in essence betraying Bond by sending him out unprepared. He has done his research on knowing mm-hmm. about Bond, but he doesn't, K-N-O-W, know Bond. And if he knew Bond, this Bond, he would know that M approving this stuff and sending him back out there is exactly what Bond wanted. So it's not a betrayal of Bond. It's actually a support of Bond. So this just reaffirms James's love of M or approval of M because she gave him what he wanted, you know? And so I think there's where Silva makes a mistake here because he thinks that uh, Bond's going to be upset that uh, M lied to him and sent him out on a mission unprepared or uh, physically unable to do it. Two two things on this. One is... My gut, and,
3: and and some of this might be from Daniel Craig's performance, is that as soon as he hears that he didn't pass the test, he knows that's true. Of course. like I, I think he fooled him. I think he maybe lied to himself a little bit. And he knew what that fucking psychologist thought of him. Of course. You know what I mean? Like, so this isn't a surprise. So it's not a betrayal because he kind of knew. The other thing, though, is that I think you can't get away from the words. And this is what I think Silva's also focused on is yeah. take the bloody shot. Oh, take yeah. the bloody shot is to him the same thing that she did to him right. when she betrayed him. But it isn't the same thing because I think, and we see it in that scene with bond and M yeah. where he knows that that was the, he probably would have made the same call. You yeah. know what I mean? Even though he didn't like that. He got shot. He actually doesn't hate M for doing, making that decision. Exactly. Cause she's like him.
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
3: Then the scene takes a very surprising turn. <laughs> Which is that he's sitting very close to him and says, mommy was very bad. And he leans in and with a, I would say lascivious sort of, hmm, unbuttons Bond's shirt. Yeah. You know what I didn't think of until literally the last five minutes Mm. is I just suddenly went, oh, we just saw a shirt being unbuttoned. This is not only exactly what Bond did to Eve when she was shaving him. Yeah. Yeah. But they're almost in the same position. Bond's sitting in the chair. Yeah. He's in front of him, almost between his legs, the way that Eve was between Bond's legs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he is doing to Bond exactly what Bond just did to a woman a few scenes earlier. Yeah,
2: and you can't deny that this is this has um a homosexual flavor to it. Certainly, the way he's touching his chest and even Bond saying things like, Are you sure it's her that you wanted? You know, he's he's saying these things to kind of get under his skin It even says, you think this is my first time and all of that. So it, it's a very sexually charged scene. Uh, and I like that. I like that as a new aspect of, uh, of James Bond in, in, in this film. And um, it's not overt. It's just kind of right there. Do you know what I'm saying? And, and I really appreciated that as, as a
3: nice switch. Two, two, two things about it. One is there was some protests about, oh, you've made the crazy gay man be the, you know, the bad guy. And this was what I I love what Javier Bardem's response was this is he said, no, you got it all wrong. Silva would fuck anything.
2: Yes, exactly. Exactly.
3: Yes. Um, And the moment you mentioned it, but I want to I want to come back to it is uh, as he's touching his leg, he says to Bond, well, first time for everything.
1: What makes you think this is my first time?
2: Yes, exactly. So. So. what what did Bond just say there? What is he saying? I don't know if he's telling the truth, but he's essentially trying to remove Silva's power in this back and forth by saying, "Oh, you think this is my first time? It's not." And whether it's true or not, who knows? But Bond is playing the you know Bond is using all of his tactics and training to get under the skin of the villain or to unsettle the villain, and um, it's just psychological warfare between the two of them in this back and forth.
3: I, I'm sorry I have to ask the
2: witness for a little more
3: specificity
2: <laughs> okay first time at what first time oh uh I would imagine first time being uh, either indulging in sex with a man or indulging in being yes. hit on by a man or yeah. indulging in this possibility but just like you said with Silva earlier with the uh, Bardem what he just said a few seconds ago I think Bond would also fuck anything if it meant completing the mission that's what literally what I was thinking too, is that I, uh, when
3: I first heard that I went, Oh, bonds, that's kind of a defense he that went. he's just playing. And then I went, you know what? Yeah. I mean, I don't think, I, I think it's just what you said. I think if bond would kill someone, if it meant completing the mission, he'd blow up a building. If it meant completing yeah. the mission, he'd cause all sorts of wreckage, if it meant completing the mission. And yeah, he would have sex with a man. If that meant completing the mission, he would have sex with anyone. if it meant completing Yeah. The yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. Uh, it's, he's, it's, the scene is fantastic I mean again we have fantastic actors and and then we go back to basically the same thing which is he says all the physical stuff is bullshit and it's all it's just what Q said it's everything I can do with a computer at least here there are no old ladies giving orders and no little gadgets from
1: those fools in Q brand.
3: and he goes over some of the things he's done which all seem you
2: know terrible
1: well everybody needs a hobby so what's yours resurrection
2: it's a nice foreshadowing isn't it how many times is silva going to try to kill bond and he keeps surviving and coming back and getting the best of him so i love that well and the theme of
3: this whole movie is bond putting himself back together and becoming bond again at the end of the film you know that is what this is um and he unties him and says let me show you something and we head outside into the just the amazing set yeah Of course, Bond puts on the glasses, you know, just because he just has to look cool.
2: Badass, yeah.
3: And this is, again, I think this is very much like the Joker because he talks about when everyone is panicking and fleeing the island, and he says, "They left the island so quickly, they couldn't decide what to take, what to
1: leave, what was important. And saying this every day reminds me to focus on the essentials. There's nothing, nothing superfluous in my life. When
3: a thing is redundant, it is... Eliminated, and of course what's he referring to is Savern. Yeah. he's bleeding tied up standing you know next to this broken statue yeah it's a tough scene man
2: it is it's a really tough scene this one and this one came up for criticism as well uh in the year since the film' come out mm. just because of the brutality of it yeah well I mean let's get through it and then you know okay it up and we'll talk about it
3: for sure he pours him a glass of 50-year-old McAllen. It's 50-year-old McAllen to celebrate Dr. No, because this is the 50th anniversary of Bond. That's why they did that. Yeah,
1: good call. So, what's the toast?
3: To the women we love? Which a really sick, brilliant uh, line. Yeah. Uh, and he goes up to her and he says, darling, he kisses her. And she, her reaction to him kissing her is, is a lot. Well, uh, yeah, he's, he's just st-
2: trying to pull away, and he shoves himself on yeah. there to stay. Yeah, yeah. Stand up straight. Keep still. And whatever you do, don't lose your head.
1: Don't
3: lose your head. <laughs> and he puts that shot glass on top of her head. Yeah. Do you know the William Burroughs story about his wife? I do not. Dude, this is fucked up. So William Burroughs, obviously already a fucked up, crazy person, crazy writer. Apparently he had had a running, he liked guns a lot and he had a running trick that he played with his wife where they did William tell and he put an apple on her head and shot it off with a gun.
2: Jesus Christ.
3: And one night after many drinks and much imbibing again, William Burroughs, they're in Mexico, I think Mexico city. And they go to do this trick. And he shoots his wife in the head and kills her. Oh my god! And I so as I'm watching the scene, that's all I can think about. And there's there's all sorts of speculation on whether he killed her on purpose, or how they were having a fight, or whether you know, like, or, who knows? But it's just like isn't that like the
2: most upsetting story? I,
3: I, uh, and at a party in front of a whole bunch of
2: people, and I love this right because there are people who have William S. Burroughs books in their collection. Mm-hmm. But they're the ones complaining about other people and the hatred of women in some writing or some women some uh, films or whatever. Yet they still have William S. Burroughs fucking books and that thing. It's something to come down to, man. I, it's always the separation of art and the artist. It's always, and it's always personal. Uh, and unless you own nothing that connects to anybody who's done this, it makes it harder it makes hard it makes it hard to have issues with certain things because then you're being selective uh, depending on what your tastes are you've got a right to be upset about something, but you've also got to be a little more self-aware to see what, what content do you have on your shelves and your, in your possession that you've bought and given money to that is connected to someone who's abused women or or had these situations like this in their lives, you know? So eh, I'm not a Burroughs guy. I, I watched that documentary on him and I've read some of his stuff. It's, it's not for me, but I get that he's a big name in literature and especially with a lot of female fans, which is really ironic, you know? I mean, I,
3: yeah, I mean, obviously we have had many conversations and I'm sure we'll have many more conversations mm. about how you split this stuff up in, I, I, and I always go back to what, um, I just drew a blank on her name that we had on for broadcast news from KCRW. Yeah. Kim masters. Yeah, Kim masters. I, I remember what she said. She said, well, you just, you don't take art off the walls. Yeah. And right. I was like, that was kind of a good statement is that, Yeah, yeah. which doesn't mean that you go, you, you try to bury the the bad shit that that artist did you know yeah yeah. and kim is one of those people that calls people out on this stuff oh absolutely yeah Yeah. that's been part of her career time to redeem your marksmanship scores as soon as you see bond have the instinct i don't want to do this a gun is pointed at him they pull out these old muskets which by the way not the most accurate of weapons (laughs) and she's standing there he aims the gun at her and you see that tremor in his hand Yeah. Did you really die that day? Is there any, any of the old 007 left? He's goading him. Yep, and Bond kind of glances him quickly and then fires and misses her completely. Yeah. And Silva says, and this happens so fast. My turn. And kills her.
2: Well, this is where the film came in for some criticism. And I don't remember the criticism at the time, but I know in the subsequent years... There's been criticism about how they handled um, uh, this character. Oh, what's her name again? Sorry. Ber- Severin. Severin. Sorry. Severin. Or, or
3: Savarine or something. So Savarine. It's hard because we just had Eduardo Severin from the social network. Oh, so that's right.
2: <laughs> I keep going like, which way? Which is the right pronunciation? But it's something like that. I'll default to Severine. I'll take the hits. Uh, yeah. Severine, um her uh, death because people are like, well, she was part of the sex trade. And so – Um, she was used in the sex trade. And then we find out Silva's essentially using her too, but then Bond uses her to get to Silva. And then Bond just kind of stands there and watches Silva kill her. So in essence, as a character, she's been, she's used by men all the way up and down the chain. And also, if you want to go all the way to the writers, the male writers and the male director use this character in this way. And so it's a part of being more aware of these kinds of things. And do I a hundred percent agree with the criticism I mean, people die in Bond all the time, especially women. So it is it's it is a horrible trait at times of the Bond franchise. But, you know, that's also something they've been trying really hard to change and rectify. And so it's a valid criticism. But I don't know if it, – it's an uncomfortable scene meant to really make you hate the villain. So, yes, it sucks that it's a woman and it's always kind of classically been a woman. Um, but, you know, I think we're getting better in our entertainment to not default to that cliche consistently. So – but I get the, I get, I do get the criticism. I think it is valid. You yeah. know, I I get it too. I kind of go, well, what have we
3: seen? It's like, first of all, you feel terrible. I mean, yeah, you're supposed to feel terrible. Yeah. It is a tragedy, yeah. and you feel the tragedy, and Bond feels the tragedy. Yeah, he but can't I also, it, but he feels it. Yeah, yeah, and I and, and I also go in the way this scene is structured. There was nothing he could do. She was going to die. Like, right. I mean, they're just he wasn't in a position that he was going to be able to do something at that moment. Right. But the other thing that I think is more important is how many people have we seen be let die already? Yeah. Like, he it's didn't stop. Years. Yeah, right. Yeah, he didn't stop the guy from, Patrice, from shooting the guy in front of the painting. Right. He let him shoot the guy in front of painting. Yeah. We let Ronson die. M said, take the bloody shot. Yeah. Like, the the whole movie has been, we are going to allow people to die for the greater good. You know, good it, it's, it's a, not just her. Yep, it's a ruthless movie. You're absolutely right on that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah by the way just the shot of the glass dropping and the way her foot is turned in the in the moment of death that's just that's just good directing you know
2: very well shot
3: yeah um and then it's funny you mentioned the fight scene the silhouetted fight scene in the glass tower in shanghai and that you rewound it and watched it multiple times i rewound and watched this fight scene multiple times because it is super fast yeah it is it's it's like he grabs the guy's gun, which causes that to fire and shoot another guy, shoots another guy in the leg, then falls backwards shooting over his head to take out another guy. Uh, it's a really cool 15 second fight scene, you know? It's very well choreographed, yeah. What are you going to do now? Take me back to her?
1: All on your own. <laughs>
3: this is a moment. Yeah. And then here come the helicopters and the bond music. And He holds up that tiny little transmitter and says, Majesty from
2: Cuba." Hold radio. Which is old school, right? Old school, yeah. This is the fight every time that we have in uh, in the entire film is between the old school and the new school. Yeah. So my question for you
3: is, how do you feel as the audience at this moment? Are you going, yay?
2: Well, it's more a matter of why did he kill everybody else but not him, right? I mean... Why do all the guards get death, but this guy gets to live? It's a confusing decision that Bond makes in that moment because he full-on can do a headshot for Silva. Totally, come out. Why doesn't he? It isn't. You can't give me that. It's some kind of trumped-up national security need to put him on jail in jail type of thing when he's killing people all over the place. So it just seems like an odd decision in that moment. But I'm also full of dread because. You know, he allows himself to be arrested, which means exactly. there's something more going on here. Yeah, yeah.
3: This, this is one of those moments where I'm in the movie theater and I look at my watch and go, "Well, this can't be good." <laughs> you know,
2: like <laughs> we can't succeed
3: film. at this moment. This isn't gonna. This is bad.
2: Was it? it was it uh, Austin Powers when he's like, "Oh, it's all backwards. You arrested me in the first twenty minutes. It it's <laughs> more, yeah, exactly."
3: John, I can't tell you how excited I am about the cinephiles' new sponsor—an absolutely incredible game.
2: Make sure to log in each day and each week to take advantage of all the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out, y'all. Check out that unique promo code, and for every new user, please follow
3: our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. Once again, thank you so much to Marvel Strike Force. We're very, very excited to have you sponsoring this episode. We're back at MI6. Uh, I love again. The design's all really cool. That there's the fogged glass that you know clears and reveals him in the glass cage. And I don't know how many (laughs) supervillains we've seen in glass cages over the years, but there've been many. True.
0: You're smaller than I remember. Whereas I barely remember you at all.
3: Sam Mendes says that Javier did many, many brilliant takes, each one slightly different, which I love. You know, it's like he's like, oh, really? here, here's a here's one that's a little more with this spin. Here's one that's a little more with this spin. But apparently in the middle of it, he just broke down completely giggling and said, I can't believe I'm sitting here with Judy Dench and Daniel Craig doing a James Bond movie. <laughs> he was just so
2: tickled that he was doing this. Yeah, a lot of people speak about Javier's warmth. Like a lot of people talk about him. Mm. Like, what a nice energy he is and how he how it's just all just so incredible to him and there are people who legitimately have that energy there are others who put it on i'm not going to mention any names about a recent pop song stress but there are actually people who legitimately are like "Who me oh my god i can't believe this is happening to me that kind of thing and they are legitimate in it and it's always nice to hear that from other actors that that happens and director
3: particularly so when we're talking about him playing these two terrifying villains yeah yeah right and he's his sweetheart. Yeah. Um I feel in this scene he is almost desperate to get some acknowledgement from her.
2: Yeah. I mean that and that's why she comes in and removes it right off the bat by saying I, I barely remember you. Yep. Which he probably knows is a lie, but it gets under his skin, you know. And we as we see at the end of the movie, there's a very complicated mother-son pseudo relationship going on here between Sova and M. Uh, and M standing for mother or whatever you want to have it stand for. But certainly there you see that. And she tries to take away his power. And, you know, he he plays along for a little bit until he pulls out his fucking teeth.
3: Well, this is the moment because he's trying to get her to say that he that she regrets betraying him.
0: Regret is unprofessional.
1: <laughs> Regret is unprofessional. They kept me for five months in a room with no air. They poach on me. And I protected your secrets, I protected you. But they made me suffer and suffer and suffer. And then I realized it was you who betrayed me.
3: Yeah. That's one of those, he wrote that speech a long time ago and has been saying it in his head. Yeah. You know, for this moment. Yeah. So
1: I broke the tooth
3: and bit into the
1: capsule. It burned all my insides,
3: but I didn't die. Life clung to me like a disease. And she won't give him anything. She's like, he wants her to say his name and she's like, she won't say it. She says, Your name is on the memorial wall of
0: the very building you attacked. I will have it struck off. Soon, Your past will be as non-existent as your future.
3: I'll never see you again. And I think she knows exactly what this guy wants from her. Right. And knows how to play him. Yep. Do you know what he does to you? Hydrogen cyanide. And then, man. And it's so funny because the way they did his makeup, you felt there was something weird about his face. You know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. Right.
2: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And
3: I think that is a beautiful bit of subtle makeup work where you're just like, something's not quite right about this guy's face, but I can't put my finger on it. Yeah. And that's when he pulls out his teeth. Yeah. And when he pulls out his teeth, the whole shape of his face changes, you know, and you see the thinness of his cheek and you see it. it, it it's, it's incredible makeup design, I think.
2: Yeah. Agreed.
3: And I love also even the sound design when he pulls them out and then when he puts the teeth back in. Yeah.
2: And he starts to laugh as she exits. It's unsettling. And I, you know, shout out to Sam Mendes for keeping the camera on him. And we see, at least if you watch it in 4K, you can see the saliva still in his mouth. Oh, legs, yeah. Still fresh and all of that. So you really get the terror of that situation. Uh, and and Bartem has such an interesting face anyway, the way it's almost kind of like drooping a little bit in his face. So it works the way they make that uh, um, CGI work in this situation, you know? So I love it. It's it's a, And it's chilling. I mean, his teeth and he's like, look upon your work. Look upon your work, right? Yeah. So he really – and the thing is he doesn't realize that all that torture was – psychological and it finally broke him and rather than admitting that he broke under the strain of torture he is going to blame her for leaving him in that situation right why blame someone else why blame yourself when you can blame someone else and that's usually the evil that usually leads a lot of these evil villains are people who can't blame themselves for their situations they have to blame someone else you know what I find interesting is that after
3: is that she knew she can't give him anything Right, but no, but at, 100%, yeah. But after they leave, it almost feels like she has to justify herself to Bond. Yes, well, Bond's the current um, agent, so she, she feel good. Because she says that he was, yeah, she says he was brilliant, and then he started going beyond his brief. The
2: handover was coming up, and they were on
0: to him, so I gave him up. I got six agents in return, and a peaceful transition.
2: But Steve, we also have to have our own questions, right? We don't know who's telling the truth here. Is he no. telling the truth? Or is she telling the truth in order to maintain her status or whatever? So you know, it's a spy situation. I like that it's kind of up in the air who's telling the truth. You know. So and now I feel like we're at
3: the dumbest thing that anyone does on the MI6 side, which is we're with Q and we got to break into the computer, and you know we hear a bunch of techno stuff, um,
2: techno babble.
3: Yeah. Um, and by the way, I think it's a fascinating. This scene's basically a twofer. It's mm. two guys, it's two guys in a computer, yeah. but they do it in front of this huge room with a ton of extras and all sorts of stuff going on yeah. because you got the money. <laughs> That's basically, you know, yeah, yeah.
0: Only about six people in the world could program safeguards
3: like that. Of course, there are. Can you get past them? I invented them, and then he plugs Silva's computer into the MI6 mainframe, and I'm like. Isn't one of the basic rules like if someone a bad guy hands you a USB drive, you don't plug it into your computer?
2: <laughs> yeah, I think this is not this doesn't seem like a smart thing to do. But it's the hubris, right? Sure. Just like Bond said to him in the painting, right? You just youthfulness is not uh is not correlative to inventiveness or whatever. Right? Yeah. So this is an example of that. But just but Bond is the one that later or oh, Bond is the one that starts the process all of this happening that we're about to find out because he's the one that realizes the train station and it's that that ends up uh sparking the um the hacking the reverse hacking that happens from silva's side of things so both the old school and the new school kind of messing this up. yeah
3: um and this and what we're going to see is there's sort of multiple scenes going on at once one is q trying to hack into this computer the other is silva in the glass you know cage where he starts unzipping his jumpsuit So we know, obviously, what's going to happen. And the third one is M is now called up in front of this uh, community, uh, parliamentary committee, and we have uh, leading it um, someone we last saw in The Queen, which is Helen McCroy.
2: Yeah, Helen McCroy, who was, of course, sadly passed a couple of years ago from cancer. Um, Fantastic actress. And the irony here is that she's the one who was an anti-monarchist, the character in, in The Queen. And here she is grilling, um, uh, grilling M, in the scene, and then it's uh, Mallory who steps in to kind of defend her as the mm-hmm. scene goes along. So ironic, yet another person who is kind of was initially against this system and be wants to become part of the system at her expense. So which I think is great, and I, I love the the character she plays. It's
3: very different from what we saw in the Queen. In the Queen was oh, yeah. sort of down to earth, you know, yeah. angry, you know straightforward kind of person. And here she's so posh and condescending.
0: So it's a job well done. Well, I'm not saying it's all gone perfectly, but... You'll forgive me for not putting up the bunting. I find it rather difficult to overlook the monumental security breaches and dead operatives for which you are almost single-handedly responsible.
3: And it's at this moment that Q opens up the, the file and of course the giant graphical web we see starts to turn red and we're all going, okay... This is bad. Something bad's about to happen. And I love, you know, these kind of doors open. And as soon as that happens, Bond takes off because he knows what's going on. And I do love uh, Q's reaction at that moment where he goes, Can someone tell me how the hell he got into our system?
2: Because you plugged it into your system. Which he realizes in seconds. Yeah, I'm sure that it was him. And I love that message there. Not so clever boy, which is great. A great way to fuck him. Um, but Bond is the one that figures out the train station. But, of course, that's the thing that sparks everything. So it's
3: fun Yeah. So Bond is chasing after Silva. Yeah. And, of course, naturally, if you're in in the the, the tube, the train is going to be coming. And so a train starts coming. By the way, so, so how they did it, normally trains run on electricity. And there's a third rail. And the rail is has enough power to kill anybody. Oh, yeah. So yeah. they're not going to have an active third rail when they're shooting a scene. Cause you got actors and crew and all sorts of people walking around. Right. right. And so this is what this train is that almost hits bond it's an empty train with a bunch of people inside and they're basically fred flintstoning it they're all running along they've got (laughs) handles and they're just pushing the train along as they go which i thought was hilarious that is hilarious (laughs) um and naturally bond manages to get through a door at the last minute and then we have a you know kind of cat and mouse um with silva who gets dressed up as a policeman and it's you know there's the moment of Should I get on the train? Should I not get on the train? And then he ends up not getting on the train and then has to jump on the back of the train. And I love the sort of getting the woman to open the door for him so he can get in. I love the guys like
2: this guy really wants to get home.
3: (laughs) And then uh, here's and I will say this is the next really stupid thing that they do, which is that we get the message to M uh, through Tanner that Mm -hmm. Silva has escaped and he's after her and she has to get to safety. And she says she's going to stay in the committee meeting, which totally makes sense in terms of character. What doesn't make sense is a crazed killer is coming towards parliament and you don't tell anybody. (laughs) Like you could say, you know, look, we have to deal with this situation, call down to security, maybe put a couple of guards on alert that this
2: guy's coming. It seems like sort of a dumb thing for MI6 to do. Maybe. I mean, I, yeah, I hear your point, absolutely, but maybe they if she had done that, maybe she calculated that they would be like thinking that she's creating a scenario so she doesn't have to answer questions. But you're right. This might but people's lives in danger should outweigh any kind of fear of embarrassment or conspiracy theorists spouting nonsense. So, yeah. Well, particularly when it's parliament. I mean, these
3: are yeah, MPs right. like that, you know, you kind of need to protect. That's your main job is to protect the government of the country, you know.
2: You would think, yeah. Uh.
3: Anyway, so uh, the train stops. Bond continues to chase him. You have the great moment where Silva slides down the medium of the of the escalator and then Bond does it after him and, of course, gets off it just perfectly. <laughs> and I go like, that's why, because normally there are those big round metal things. On yeah. This, so you can't do exactly this. Yeah, yeah. And then Judy Dench gets to make her speech, because because as you pointed out, Mallory says, "Let's hear from the witness."
2: Yeah, because she's um, uh, Helen McCrory's character is just like going on and on, and he's saying, "Well, you know, it's maybe a novel concept, but can we hear from the witness?" And so, to her credit, though, Helen's like, "Okay, yeah, fine, let's hear from." It.
3: And while that's happening, Bond has just about caught up to Silva. By the way, all the shadows and tunnels and stuff like that. Uh, is a very conscious uh, third man reference. Oh, they definitely were thinking about the third man. Nice bonfires and silver stars.
1: Oh. I won't miss next time, Mister Silver. Not bad, not bad, James, for a physical wreck. Why? Thank you. You caught me. Now, here's your prize: the latest thing from my local toy store. It's called
3: radio. and there is a big explosion and nothing happened there's a big hole in the wall and bond goes i do hope that wasn't for me (laughs) but that is and a two cars of a subway train come crashing through that hole
2: down towards james bond such an awesome stunt and nobody in it so nobody would complain that you know you're putting other lives in danger it was uh You know, one of those out of operation ones, but it came barreling through there. What an awesome, like you said, just like those screens, uh, this stunt you do because you have the money to do it. But I'm sure it was an extensive stunt to to shoot. So the number they threw out, and I don't know if this is
3: accurate, is this is a two million pound shot. That's how much money. Just for this shot. And it was the uh, stunt coordinator and the second unit guy who said, no, I think we could do this for real. Like, this isn't CG. This is two real trains. This is wow. all of it done all in one shot. This is with with uh, Daniel Craig on the set nearby while all this is happening. This is the real deal. <laughs> it's nuts.
2: It must be crazy, though. I mean, we get kind of deluded that these guys, that they're, they're offered the most incredible protection, And they are. But that doesn't mean shits can't go crazy. So, uh, God love them for putting themselves or subjecting themselves to these kinds of things where anything can happen. A train going through a, you know, a, a, a concrete situation—anything. It could hit. It could hit wrong. It could shoot some kind of material off and hit Bond you know, or hit uh, Daniel Craig. So it's just incredible, man. I, I was
3: listening to an interview with the stunt coordinator, mm-hmm. um, and what he said was like that it used to be back in the old Hollywood days that stunt guys would just throw themselves off the cliff, you know, that they would just go like, there's a good chance I'm going to get hurt. And I'm going to go do this thing. And what he said now is it's so scientific, Mm. you know, like there's just, everything is measured out to the most, which doesn't mean that people can't get hurt and things don't go wrong. They do. Right. People still get hurt. Yeah. But, but like just the, the amount of planning and time spent to try to do a thing like this, you know, and this is, again, it's why movies are team efforts. You know, Sam Mendez can't do this. Yeah, 100%. He has to have a team that does this. Yeah. Uh, so needless to say, Silva gets away, and then we're back in our committee meeting.
0: I'm frightened because our enemies are no longer known to us. They do not exist on a map. They're not nations.
3: They're individuals. This is a post-9-11 movie. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah it's that's definitely what it's talking
2: about but this is the put also what do you call that steve you hang the lamp on it this is hang a, a lantern hang, on it hang a lantern yeah. on it. right this is yeah. this battle between helen McCory's character and, and judy dench there is an m is this idea of she's talking about the future and she's talking about how it's still important uh to be use the antiquated methods because the future is still the people in the future or the, the i'm sorry the um the threats that are supposedly handled by all this technology can still elude this technology and we need to still have an old school aspect in our approach combined with the new school. Yeah.
3: yeah, that's exactly what I was just thinking too is like I think it's great that the movie is setting up this conflict between the old school and the new school. But the reality is we need both. Yeah, yeah. You know, exactly. like I mean you just – you talking about AI earlier, we better have some damn computer experts – helping to protect us. I don't, James Bond is not going to protect me from AI. No. You know? I don't know if you
2: will either. He hooked
3: up the mainframe for God's (laughs) sakes. It's fair. (laughs) That's a good point. (laughs) As M is talking, Silva comes, right comes right through security. He's killing a bunch of people.
0: Our world is not more transparent now. It's more opaque. It's in the shadows. That's where we must do battle.
3: And as she talks, we see Bond running through the street. By the way, uh, Daniel Craig had an injured leg that day, and he had to run a lot, and it was a lot of pain. Really, Oof. I th- you just met I think you said it on uh, maybe a trailer reaction or something about about uh, Tom Cruise being the best runner.
2: Yeah, I, I tweeted. it. I said no one runs like Tom Cruise runs, no? and then. But it's funny you bring this up, Steve, because I when I was watching, rewatching the film for our conversation, it was after I posted that tweet, and I was watching Daniel Craig run through all of Skyfall, and I was like. You know, I almost tweeted out, I'd love to see competition between Tom Cruise and Daniel Craig of who can run in, uh, the most interestingly throughout their movies. You know? I mean, they're both great. It's, it's just great, great run.
3: running. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then M says...
0: My late husband was a great lover of poetry. And um, I suppose some of it sunk in,
3: despite my best intentions. Which, I love that line just right there. Yeah. And then she reads from Tennyson, or or recites from Tennyson...
0: We are not now that strength, which in old days moved earth and
3: heaven. And we see James Bond run.
0: That which we are, we are. One equal temper of heroic hearts, made weak by time and fate, but strong in will to strive, to seek, to find, and not to yield.
3: I think M reciting poetry intercut with Bond is a bold choice. (laughs) And I wonder if they were scared to do it. And I love it. Yeah.
2: I mean, because this is where you go, come on. It's a James Bond film, right? But Sam Mendes has done such a wonderful job in constructing the film to this point that you actually allow it. Like you're like, do judges, judges, we're going to allow it because- it works and it's effective. And the words that are being said do carry weight when we're looking at what Bond is doing. And Daniel Craig, his energy, it fits yeah. with what Judy Dench is saying. So there's such power to it. And you know, that's why you that's why you are gifted or you're blessed to have someone like Judy Dench to deliver a poem like this in the way that she does uh, in the film.
3: Yeah, I I think every filmic aspect had to deliver or this fails.
2: Oh yeah, this looks cheesy as hell yeah if it, uh, if it doesn't deliver yeah
3: and the first one as you say is judy dench has to deliver it which i think we're confident she will daniel craig has to be great and yeah. then it's the editing it's the music it's the cinematography it's like all that stuff has to be on point yeah and it totally works and then right as she finishes that sentence silva bursts through the door starts wiping out people and this is where we get ray finds mallory jumps to m's rescue yeah. yeah takes a bullet in the shoulder for her and then the next moment is Bond
2: comes in and turns the tide. Yeah, yeah. By the way, love the shot of Fines getting shot. Just a that's gr- believable, right? Yeah. He whips over. He whips over as soon as he's shot, and it works so well. And uh, Bond crashing in, you know. And again, with the poem, the poem is about old, you know, still being able to do it even though your your younger days or your salad days have passed by. There's a will, a determination, yeah. strength, right? And that's what she's saying. And here's Bond coming in through his will and his strength. I mean, he's literally running down the effing street. Yeah. You know, there's no there's no Uber. There's no, like, helicopter. Or any, no, he's doing the most basic thing you can do as a human being. He is running down the fucking street to try to get there, to try to save M. So, yeah. And, and what's great is the streets are, like, calm and quiet, right? Yeah. When he gets to a certain area, you're just like, wow, nobody fucking knows this is going on. Like, nobody knows this is going on, but this is the way it has to be for him to get there, you know?
3: And there's so many nice little moments in this action sequence. One is kicking the gun to Money Penny. Yes. Another is that Mallory gets a gun and Bond covers for him, yeah. and then Bond gives him the wink.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
3: And then and then <laughs> shooting the extinguishers in order to get smoke cover, which is the stunt coordinator's idea. Oh, really? That yeah. so again, old school, simple. Just shoot yep. an extinguisher. Yeah. Yep. Um, and Silva heads out and drives away, and they load M into a car. And suddenly, that car takes off, and you have this moment, which I think we all know it's Bond, but it's like, oh, who's driving M? And yeah. you see him in the mirror. I don't know, Sam, what the hell are we doing? You kidnapping me? That would be one way of looking at it. And then, in one of those rare moments of regret, you hear M say, "Too many people are dying because of me."
2: Is it regret, though, Steve, or do you think it's someone who's like? trying to say something to uh, take, cr- take guilt for it, but not really stop herself from doing it. Cause she goes along with bond and she goes mm-hmm. along with this whole thing of going after Silva rather than just turning herself in or, you know, kind of surrendering herself for any way, shape or form or stopping bond, you know, she just kind of goes along with it. So it's interesting, you know, some people well, say uh, things to themselves to kind of make themselves feel better about what they've done, taking some semblance of responsibility but not really fully stopping what they're doing.
3: It would be really interesting to actually know what M actually thinks this Hello. character of M Grateful. because I don't think she's a knowable person, you yeah. know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, and I, and I think too, that's why this part of this part of why this movie is so good is that it actually is exploring. Cause M is just for most of the bond movies is you show up and M gives you some orders and that's it. Yeah. You know, like this is kind of delving into her and that I actually think, that she is filled with regrets and filled with maybe I should have done this or maybe this was my fault or right. maybe I shouldn't have done that. And that she's, you know, smashed all that stuff down because she has to do the job. Yeah. Um, and I think part of why they're part of why she's agreeing to do what Bond is choosing to do is at least they're not going to be around a whole crowds of people or in the middle of Parliament and other people. she if, if anyone's If anyone's going to get killed, it's her and Bond and that's it. You know, yeah, um, and Bond calls up to Q to leave some breadcrumbs, make a trail that Silva can follow, mm-hmm. and then they get out of the the Bentley or whatever it is they're 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 driving.
0: Well, I'm not hiding in there if that's
3: your brilliant plan. We're changing vehicles. Trouble with company cars is they have trackers, which is kind of funny because I'm like, well, you want them to follow you, yeah, <laughs> um, but well, I also love this moment,
2: Steve, for her, she just said. You know, too many people are dying at my expense. And, you know, oh, oh God, I don't want this, you know. And then he pulls him to the garage. He goes, I'm bloody well not staying in there. So clearly <laughs> there's still, you know, a streak of her that is still defiant to, to the end, even if totally. she's feeling the guilt, you know. <laughs> uh,
3: I, I can't really remember seeing this moment in the theater, but I'm sure I was I had a huge smile on my face oh, when he yeah. opens up the door and we have the Aston Martin TV five from
2: Goldfinger.
0: And I suppose that's completely inconspicuous.
2: Bro, I totally remember this moment. This is one of my favorite moments in any Bond film. And of course, I've only seen a few, but this is one of my favorites. Just so unexpected and and just seeing it standing there in its glory. And of course, we should have seen it coming because the whole film is about revisiting the old and and, and merging it into the new, right? And so seeing that old school Bond car and then hearing... The old school, full Lalo, uh, is it Lalo Schreffern who does the uh, Bond theme? But hearing the full original Bond theme as it was from back in the uh, our first films in the 60s, it was so great. I, I had a full uh, geek heart
3: on when that happened. So it's, it's, it's an awesome moment. I love they get in the car and she says, not very comfortable, is it? And he flips the button open on the red ejector button. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: and she says bloody eject me see if i care <laughs> <laughs> that's just great
3: yeah and she asks where are we going and by the way and this is this is where judy dench is like amazing yeah. when she says where are we going i would say there is the tiniest hint of nervousness in her yeah. performance. My guess is with Judy Dench, she can she can go like, what do you want? Do you want 2% nervousness or 3%? You know, like Probably. she could slice it that thin because it's just, it is the tiniest of quivers, you know?
0: Where are we getting?
2: Back in time. Somewhere we'll have the advantage. Steve, it's such an interesting point you brought up. I hadn't even thought about it as my mind is going right now in microseconds. What you said, I hadn't even thought about the fact that she might be nervous because what if Bond is starting to glimpse what uh, Silva is talking about? What if Bond is starting – even though he saved him, mm. right? This is still the person who said, take the shot. This is still the person who sacrificed him. She just admitted to him a few uh, minutes ago or hours – minutes ago in the movie, but probably hours ago in real time – uh, that he she sacrificed hmm. um, Silva for six agents, so the nervousness may just be that I'm putting my life in the hands of a guy who is unstable, can't shoot, physically unable to do, do the job, and and uh, may have a grudge here against me. So the the slight flicker of nervousness is absolutely believable. But as you said, that's why you cast someone like Judy Dench or get get the have the blessing of someone like Judy Dench because you can slice the nervousness. Two percentiles to have liquor, yeah. you
3: know. Yeah. Well, cause I think I mean, M is actually a human being. Yeah, exactly. Who exactly. doesn't want to die, who has fears and emotions, and she's but and yet she's so masterful mm. at controlling all of that. You know, that's mm. why those little moments they, they mean so much. Yeah. We're back with Q working on his breadcrumbs, talking about how hard it is, and who walks in but Mallory? What are you doing? We're just monitoring, creating a false tracking signal for Silver to follow. Well, so,
1: um, no, excellent thinking, get him isolated.
3: And now we've transformed Mallory, you know, because he took the bullet for M. He fought with Bond. Bond gave him a wink. And now where we thought he was going to narc out Q, he actually is on their side. Yeah. But uh, what if the PM finds out? Then we're all buggered. Carry on. (laughs) And my note here is like, and there's the new M, you know, like that's. That's this is the moment where we're okay with that. Yeah. We are on the side of the road in Scotland.
0: This is where you grew up. Hmm. How old were you when they died?
3: And I find this response really interesting. You know the answer to that. You know the whole story. And her response is.
0: Orphans always make the best recruits.
2: That is a painful line. Yeah. Yeah. You know. But it's so beautiful. This whole scene is so beautifully shot by um, Deacons and by Mendes, keeping the camera slightly high as you're seeing this man astride his kingdom. Yeah, right? He's essentially astride his kingdom. The valley, Scottish Highlands, all of that. Him standing there, hands in the pocket, the gray suit, all of it. There's such a power stance there. And her walking up. And, even, and then when Mendes shoots them from the side, the two profiles – You're seeing two, you know, movie stars there in that moment uh, and two strong actors in that moment um, having the back and forth. So there's such a power to this scene, you know. And then we start driving
3: and it's only then that we see what they were looking for. We go past the gate that Mm. says Skyfall on it with the big stag on the top and drive down to this big house in the middle of nowhere in the distance. Again, it's all stunning. And all of this was built for the movie. This is all constructed for this film and not, and you think about what they had to do. This is, this is months that they spend building this thing because it's not just that you're building the house, but you're building the house in such a way that it can be destroyed. You build you essentially you build the destruction into the house because you know, like this is the wall that's going to go first and this is what's going to go second. This is going to be on fire. This is going to be an explosion. This is going to have broken glass. And so as you're putting it together, you're putting it together with all of those elements Right. So you can destroy it. Um, It's an incredible amount of planning. Yeah. We go into the house. (laughs) I wrote down, yeah, it's it's great lighting again, you know, (laughs) because it's gorgeous and everything is dust covered and everything is uh, covered in sheets. And then out comes a guy with a gun and he introduces M to Kincaid. And this is Albert Finney.
2: Yeah. The great Albert Finney who seems to find himself in these spy movies because he was also in uh, the Bourne film mm. as well as a, as a uh, person connected to Treadstone and what have you but you know what's funny Steve I don't know if you have this in your notes you probably do but I don't mean to jump the gun but um this was uh, they went to Sean Connery or they considered asking Sean Connery wow. to do this role as a way of kind of you know passing the torch and Talk about going old school, new school, that kind of thing. And so, how much more old school can you be than the original Bond? Yeah. So, but I think they ended up not going to him because they felt maybe it was, it would have taken people out of the movie to have the old Bond come in. And maybe they felt also it might overshadow Daniel to have the original Bond there for the people who are huge Bond fi- fans. So, in the end, they used Albert Finney, which was a nice choice because, of course, Albert and Judy have been acting. Uh, for decades as British actors, uh, both on stage and in, on TV and on screen for uh, both sides of the uh, Atlantic. So it, it was great to have those two old school actors coming together in this scene. I, I, I'm trying to
3: imagine what my reaction would have been if it had been Sean Connery.
2: I guarantee and, you would have remembered it. Oh,
3: absolutely. Of course. <laughs> well, well, part, what's yeah. funny is we just had the moment... Where we go back to the Aston Martin, yeah, and hear the Bond theme, and yeah. that and, and that felt great, and it made me smile. And I and I kind of feel like if it had been Sean Connery, it's similar because you yeah. go, oh my god, it's Sean Connery, and I would have had a big smile. And I don't know that I would
2: have been able to get back into the heaviness of this movie. Yeah, and I don't know. And listen, I know this, okay, here we go. Here I go climbing up to the top of a of a cliff to do a fucking tightrope walk. But I don't want people to get mad at me, but you don't think classical film, classic films when you think of Connery, right? I mean, it's not, I mean, I know people like Dr. No, or, you know, these other untouchables, but classic films, right? And I think what artistic films, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And that's not, you know, necessarily Connery's wheelhouse. And I think where Mendes was going with this, Albert Finney is someone that you can see in a classic film. You could absolutely, he has that energy where Sean is a different kind of energy. And I think they, cast correctly for the vibe of the film that they wanted to do if we go into the finale which is an explosive finale we're about to get to and you've got connery and daniel craig it becomes tango and cash the british version right and so instead of something much more deeper and the back and forth about the fact that uh, finney was you know had kind of taught him how to shoot and all of that so there's more weight to that because of how finney's energy is as an actor Versus Sean's, so and, and for all you Sean Connery fans, I'm sorry if I've hurt you. But 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 you're
3: a Sean Connery fan, and so am I. You're not. I am. Yeah, I'm yeah. And we you're not. Well, this is what we've been saying about actors forever. Is like yeah, it's not about being the that he's not a great actor. He's a great oh. actor. It's just is he the right actor for this thing? Good point. Yeah. You know, and it's funny because I'm kind of going through in my head. It's like so much of what he's done, with the exception of Last Crusade, is that. When he is the older guy with the younger guy, he is the the tough person showing someone the ropes, like in *Untouchables*.
2: Yeah, 100%.
3: In Highlander, in um, Hunt for Red October, in The Rock. Yeah, Yeah. and so like, and that would not be the right energy for this movie. I love the choice when he introduces M as M. M, this is Kincaid, gamekeeper here since I was a boy. Pleased to meet you, Emma. Be- and I just think that's fucking great writing because yeah. you wouldn't think of someone having the name M. So he, he- yeah. M is like short. Oh, must be short for Emma. It's a totally logical thing that's wrong. Right. That I love. Right. Although for all I know, her name could be Emma. Who knows?
2: Right. <laughs> and if this was Sean Connery, the old Bond, he would know her name is Emma. Right. Oh,
1: yeah. sure. What are you doing here?
3: Some men are coming to kill us. We're going to kill them first. And without missing a beat, he says. Then we'd better get ready.
1: <laughs> um,
3: by the way, I think this is Albert
2: Finney's last film. Oh, really? I think so. I would stand to reason because he's barely standing. Kind of like what we um, Michael Jeter in um, uh, uh, Open Range. You can just mm. tell, you know, that someone is near the end. You know, and he's certainly mm. barely moving, but he's still got the gravelly voice and everything. It's so great. So, and, and then they ask if, you know, where,
3: about the gun room, and apparently they sold all the guns to a collector from Idaho and he says, it was just your father's old hunting rifle. And he hands it to him. Yeah. And my first reaction, and I'm not a gun person, but I went, that's not a rifle. That looks like a shotgun to me. <laughs> and then I I did some research. In fact, it is, it's called an Anderson Wheeler double rifle. This, this weapon costs about $25,000. Wow. Yeah. Holy shit. Yeah. This is a serious, serious weapon. And we also hear, you know, that, that that's all we have. Maybe a couple of sticks of dynamite. Um, and then, uh, Finney says in a line that, you know, is going to come back later in the movie.
1: If all else fails,
3: sometimes the old ways are the best. And he pulls out a knife and like, well, that knife's going to get used, (laughs) you know? Uh, Bond is out walking with a gun and it just, he looks great. You know, it's just, he's just so cool. This is not your fight. Try and stop me. You jumped up little shit. (laughs)
2: i love that
1: now remember what i taught you don't let it pull to the left
3: i'll do my best two shots two hits
2: (laughs) (laughs) what did you say you did for a job again so this is great right i mean yes when you have a director who understands the greatness of film these little exchanges, which with some directors might be tossed off because you want to get to the next action sequence or whatever, these exchanges are so essential for establishing character. You don't have a lot of time to establish Albert Finney. Okay, right. let's have a back and forth. The first is, which is ironic, right? Because this is the guy who has been representing old school, Daniel Craig, telling the old school guy in Albert Finney, it's not your fight. This is our fight. And right. he's like, you try to keep me from it, you little shit. I gr- I raised you, you little punk. And so, and then we have the bat, and when he says to him, like, make sure it doesn't veer to the left, remember what I taught you. There's an there's an insult in his face, in yeah. Dana Greg's face, which is great. To essentially convey, like, this, you know, i you know, I'm an adult now, dad. You know, it's kind of like kind of vibe. And then when he shoots the impressive look on Albert Finney's face in the comment. So it's great character work that immediately dials into the decades of a relationship that these two must have had as as that James Bond was growing up. So it's just so these scenes are so important to give color to the film and and keep you really solidly connected to the film and having more of um I don't know more of a foundation to these characters as it goes along. Totally agree and so many things
3: uh, uh, about this which one is is that it's classic structure in setup, repetition, and transformation, which is mm. that we set up Bond can't shoot. Then we repeat it in the moment that we have him not shoot the the glass off uh, Severine's head. Yeah. And now we have the transformation. Bond is back. He could shoot again. That's right. one thing that's going on. But the other thing, and, and this is what there's, a, there's a, a tendency, particularly when you're doing a franchise like Bond, yeah. that. Everybody wants the same thing over and over and over again, and we're going to give you the same thing over and over again. Yeah. And what this is, we're taking Bond to a place he's never been in any of the movies, yeah. which is home, and with in a relationship with someone who treats him differently than anyone has ever treated Bond, yeah. which is treats him as a kid. Yeah. You know, and and knew him as a kid, yeah. and yet it's totally satisfying, James Bond. Yes. You know.
2: Yeah. It's so good, man. It's a beautiful old house
1: she is and like all great ladies she still has her secret ways
3: and then he shows him the priest hole, which is a tunnel from reformation times that leads under the moor to the chapel wow so first of all that's cool and yeah. obviously like the knife we're like well that's going to get used <laughs> um, but it's also then we get this other piece of information she says
1: the night I told him his parents had died he hid in here for two days and it did come out. He wasn't a boy anymore. Wow,
2: what do you think that means, Steve?
3: I, 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 I love that they just touch on this stuff, yeah, and they don't tell us the details. You do like that, okay? I do, absolutely, okay. Because I think what they what we learn is. I mean it, it's funny cuz it's we were talking earlier about parallels with Batman is this is the Batman story. Oh yeah. You know what it, I mean? Like your parents hey, died.
2: That's yeah, that's a great point, you
3: know. And this is what this is what transformed him into this cold, hard, extremely tough guy, you know. Well like M said, orphans make the best recruits. Orphans right? make the best recruits. Yeah. And now we're now we're in a classic get ready for the bad guys montage. (laughs) (laughs) You know, we're opening up bullets and taking out the gunpowder. We're doing stuff with, we're breaking up glass. We're doing stuff with um, light bulbs and electricity. We're planting things. We're we're setting up mirrors. We're doing all sorts of stuff.
2: Someone should set this to a 1980s montage music. Get some 18 (laughs) music. Just some 1980s music.
3: (laughs) Uh, I could could probably make that happen. Challenge accepted. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That shouldn't take long. Um. Uh. And maybe. And if it's, good, I'll send it to you. And if it's any good, we'll put it up on our yeah, page. that'd be fun. Um. And then there's this moment where Bonds with M, and she says,
0: "I fucked this up, didn't I?"
3: That is everything. That's what Silva wanted her to say. Yeah. That is what that uh, like when she when Bond shows up in the house and she goes, "If if you think I'm going to apologize, you know." Mm -hmm. like like that is what she has refused to do throughout and now she is finally saying maybe i messed up yeah no you did your job (laughs) like when they talk about his obituary that she wrote of him and he calls it appalling and she says (laughs) did call you an exemplar of british fortitude i
2: hope it was all right
3: (laughs) and then right at this lovely moment and this is the this is the loveliest you know what i mean like this is this is because their entire relationship is conflict Oh, yeah, right. And this is the one moment where it's like, no, you're essentially, this is, you're my family, you know? Yeah, it's really touching. It really is. And then you hear the dogs.
1: Are you ready? I was ready before you were born, son.
3: <laughs> I love it. Uh, the shots of the, the of the soldiers or the commandos or mercenaries or whatever they are coming through the gate and spreading out in the twilight. Really cool. And by the way, this is the other uh, high degree of difficulty that I didn't think about when I first watched the film. Mm. This action sequence takes place as the light is changing. It starts at the beginning of sunset, of twilight, mm. and then by the end of it, it's it's pitch dark. Yes. Which means, I mean, normally you should an action sequence, it's like, it's daytime or it's nighttime. It's not, we are going to slowly transition moment by moment to a different lighting setup throughout the whole sequence. Right, yeah. That's really hard. Yeah cuz it also means as an editor I can't take a moment from later in the sequence and move it earlier yeah, yeah because the lighting's wrong yeah it's it's really hard yeah they're approaching the car love the reflection shot in the side view mirror um they're they're putting a bomb on the outside of the house and then James ju- pops up in the car I totally didn't expect this and <laughs> it's so fucking satisfying when he opens up with the Aston Martin's machine guns That's great. And they go into the house, and then we have this great moment where they see Kincaid, but nope, that's the mirror shot. And he shoots them from behind and says, welcome to Scotland. Welcome to Scotland. Yeah. I fucking love it. I love it. And, you know, we see all the little things. They step on the shells. You know, we flip switches and make little explosions. Yeah. They're taking, Kincaid takes guys out. Bond takes people out. Uh, And then there's M who's being hunted, and she opens fire. And drops her gun, and Bond takes the guy out.
0: You heard? Oh, only my pride.
3: I never was a good shot. And then they realize that Silva is not among the bodies. They won the first battle. Yeah. But then we hear the helicopters.
2: It's so, um, such a great um, audio moment, yeah. right? Yeah. Just because Bond's back is to the camera, and then you hear the. Then you're just like, oh shit, you know? Yeah, it's so good. And, you know, Apocalypse Now style, he's blasting yeah. music that's uh, Boom Boom by the Animals as it's it rising. Talk about this moment, right? We yeah. were saying old school versus new school, right? And the new school is trying to uh, take over the old school, but the old school is still fucking great. Well, Boom Boom is a remake in 1964 mm. of a 1962 original John Lee Hooker song. Bloom's. Oh, yeah. And so the fact that that white boy remake of a black man's blues song, I think there's something to that. The idea. I that, never even thought about that. Right. There's a symbolism here. And the boom, boom was the big song was the one yeah. that was way bigger than uh John Lee hooker's version. And what right. happened to a lot of people, right. Even Pat Boone did tutti frutti and that sold more than little Richard's version. So you saw this. So again, the old school or the new school trying to replace the old school but it's never going to be as good as the old school. And that's what I think there was a little bit of a symbolism and y'all might think I'm stretching, but whatever. I think there was a little bit of symbolism in choosing what song to play there. Cause there's not a lot of needle drops in bond. So you no. that song, uh, I think was, there was a reason behind it for Sam Mendes. Dude, I think it's a great
3: point. I hadn't thought about that at all. I think it's a great point. Um, and the copter comes in and just opens fire on the house, huge amounts of destruction. And again, all this is planned out. You know, it's funny, just as they're planning all their little traps and planting things, that's yeah. actually what the the crew is doing in the two months leading up to this shoot, is they're planting little squibs and explosions and running electricity every way to, to, to blow up the house. Yeah. And the helicopter lands just as uh, Kincaid and M head off through the secret door. And I think, by the way, at this point, we realize that M has been shot.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Um struggling. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone listen to me. Don't disturb doctor. He's mine.
3: And now it's full dark. By the way, the wind from the helicopter, and I don't know if they had other big fans blowing too, was so strong. A, they're blowing dust all over the place, which just makes it really tough on the actors. But B, it was so strong it literally blew Javier's fake teeth out of his mouth. <laughs> Like he opened up his mouth to talk and his teeth went flying. <laughs> oh, that's
2: hilarious.
3: Yeah. <laughs> and now it's Bond alone fighting back against these guys. And he spots some uh, gas canisters. And of course, we we know which way this is going. Yeah. They're looking for him. He's under fire. The camera pushes in on Bond. We hear the theme. He lights a match. We see that fuse going down
2: as he runs through the passage
3: and says, I always hated this place.
2: Now, I thought that was a line that didn't need to be there. And I think I remember there was a little bit of controversy over that line. What do you think? Does it like, why would he say that when, you know, Albert Finney is speaking so highly of the place has just said, just like old ladies, it's got its secrets. Some, you know, proud old ladies, it has its secrets. There's, there's a majesty to the place, the way it's portrayed. So to have him say like, I always hated this place. uh, It felt a little bit like it undercut, undercut some of the majesty we might have been feeling seeing the like birthplace of this James Vaughn. So I, don't I, know. I, I, I kind of agree with you.
3: I th- my feeling is what they were going for was this is where his you know his parents this is he associates with his parents' death.
2: Yeah, that's fair. kind
3: of what I think they were going for. But I am kind of feel like you do. I like this place a lot. Yeah, yeah, like if Batman
2: blew up Wayne Manor, was like I always hated this place. I think I don't think people would feel good about that. No.
3: Yeah, but you know the gas. Hits it, blows up, and we see uh Albert Finney and Judy Dench walking away. She's now bleeding heavily, and he turns on his flashlight. Yeah, and I'm like, dude,
2: bad guys <laughs> around, don't turn your flashlight on, dude. You know, one day you and I are going to be 70 or 80 years old, and walking in a marsh is going to be scary for us because of our brittle bones. So, we're gonna need it's, to a, turn fair
3: it's a fair point.
2: It's a fair One thing I want to say the explosion that house. The way it affects the helicopter, I did not see that coming. Mm. That was genius. And I love how that pisses off uh, Silva because Silva himself didn't anticipate that Bond would blow up his own house. Again, Silva is caught up in thinking about Bond the way he would think he would do things rather than thinking about how Bond would do things. And remember earlier in the film – silva says to him in the first meeting in the on that island he says i was a better agent than you and bond just kind of scoffs at that but silva has to believe that right i got i got screwed over i got captured because other people fucked me over other people put me in this position because i'm great i'm so incredible and again he's not and it's his hubris it's his actual mistakes that he makes that he won't that he has blind spots to um, that end up always screwing him over in in what we've seen in the short amount of time we've known him as a character so because he doesn't show up till an hour and 10 minutes into the movie right so we've only had we only have like an hour with Silva uh throughout this uh, uh f- f- back half of the film but yeah I, I don't know if I'll put this in but you know what i think one of the mistakes people
3: often make is and uh, that I've made many many times is mm-hmm. thinking that other people think like you think mm-hmm you know, because yeah. the person does a thing. And it's like, well, if I did that thing, I would have done it for this reasons. Right. You know, right. And, and it's like, no, no, they did that for completely. They, they did that for totally different reasons from you. They're not thinking the way you're thinking. Look, you know. look,
2: I, I used to, handle, uh, you know, I will say this. And, and again, you could choose to keep this in or not. But like, I will say this after doing therapy uh, that I did in 2016 with all the stuff that happened with me. It kind of changed my perspective. Now, I'm not 100% great at it. Certainly, you know, you and I have had our battles at times because sure. I don't, I haven't seen quite how you see things, but then eventually I do see how you see things and we talk it out. But like, for the most part, I think the therapy, ironically, although it was to save my life, made me a better reviewer, a better critic, a better pundit, because it caused me to be more aware of looking at the perspective and points of views of these characters and understanding them more understanding where they're coming from and so trying to understand another person's um con- construct you know and how they how they're built and how they view things because that was my way of understanding my parents and understanding stuff that i went through it just kind of changed um my point of view and looking at these things so yeah you're right sometimes you get caught up with thinking that well the other person must think the way i think but you've got to create space that to um, kind of see what they might be seeing from their point of view and give it just as much credibility as your own, which is really the hardest part. I,
3: I, I, not as much with well with therapy too, but like the, the getting the shit kicked out. I was so arrogant when I was younger, surprisingly more arrogant than I am now. (laughs) Um, Uh, and that I just, it's, so my right, my writing reflected that, which was shitty. It was like, it was stiff and everybody, thought the same way and like getting the shit kicked out of me and getting being humbled in a bunch of ways all made my characters more human and more nuanced because Mm. i started to go like oh the way i was thinking is not the way everybody thinks and the way i'm thinking is frequently not correct you know (laughs) like it's actually fucked up and i'm fucked up and everyone's fucked up and we're all and then that my writing got better because of that
2: yeah yeah
3: um so, but Silva does spot them. He heads out after them. Bond comes out of the tunnel, looks back. I love the just looking back at the house burning. Yeah. And, yeah. and then runs off after, you know, towards uh, the direction Silva's going
1: mm-hmm.
3: and comes up to a frozen pond. And yeah. just a little sound design that you hear the
2: cracks. In the yes. Pond. As he walks. And for any of us who've ever walked on a cracked pond, it is just to hear those cracks. Yeah. It's like, oh, shit. Oh,
3: shit. And he takes out one guy with a great, great kick. And then in the middle of the pond, there's Silva, has a gun on him.
1: You see what comes of all this running around, Mr. Bond? All this jumping and fighting, it's exhausting.
3: (laughs) And a guy comes up behind him with a gun. And Silva says, Ah, well, mother's calling. I'll give her a goodbye kiss for you. And I love I, it's again this another great action moment. Is Bond looks down at the ice and he grabs the guy's gun, who opens fire, and they shoot a hole through the ice.
2: Yeah, yeah.
3: It's like him driving towards the rail of the bridge. Of like, I'm going to put myself under a frozen lake. That's my choice to 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 win this battle. That's what I'm willing to do. You know. Yeah. yeah. Um, by the way, this is done practically. So what they did was they built a, a wax surface that they could then shoot through to make this hole. So that's not ice, it's actually wax. Mm. Um, and they're fighting underwater. <laughs> I love Silva just like laughing and shaking his head as he walks away. <laughs> and this is shot in an underwater tank at uh, Pinewood, I think. I think this is great underwater fighting. Yeah, yeah. And Bond chokes him out and then looks for the, a flare and then we don't see what happens next. Silva comes up to the chapel. Sees Bond's parents grave as he yeah. walks in. And of course. It had to be here. It had to be this way. And Kincaid comes out and he fires near Kincaid. I can't find it. New... No! Holds his gun on Kincaid, and then goes up to M, and man, this scene is something.
2: Yeah. yeah. You're hurt. You're hurt. Done to you. This is what I'm saying. This scene is so unsettling, right? It's This is like uh, Norman Bates with his mother. This is like this... Um, it's... I don't... It it veers into the sexual, but only because everything he does radiates a kind of sexual, a free sexuality to it. So it's not really, you know, him wanting to have sex with his mother. It's not Oedipus or anything, like that, but it's more kind of this this son who is so clearly unstable and has, feels betrayed because everything he is tied to his identity is tied to M because he hasn't done an, an, a lick of therapy to separate his um construct as a person from the power that M has over him because I would imagine she as she said as she said the orphans are the best recruits she got him probably he's an orphan she took care of him because she doesn't. He doesn't mention his mom. Remember, he says his grandmother had the island and mm. his mom. And so clearly, he got she got him when he was young, made him committed to her in a way. And so M bears responsibility with that. And so he has a lot of really unresolved feelings about all of this, and it comes out. And this is the gift of casting someone like Javier Bardem to play all these levels in this interaction, and she is afraid you hear M and judy dench like oh, oh yeah there's this fear that you know and maybe even confronting her own like she, he said think on your sins here comes her sins to confront her in human form and even she kind of gets a little weak in that moment as well when they're having the back and forth you know first of all the norman
3: bates comparison is yeah. fucking brilliant because because we don't know i think i haven't watched psycho in a long time we don't know how norman bates's mom died yeah. But it's very possible that Norman killed her. Um, yes. Right,
2: right, right, right.
3: And, and, and there's that weird delusional loves his mother, hates his mother. You know, uh, you know, he has that whole speech about, like, you know, how mothers are like how all the, the, is that I think when he says, what have they done to you? I think he is hurt for her. Right. Also wanting to, this person who he wants to kill. My my other question is, has M ever been a field agent? No,
2: like she says, she's not a good shot. So I don't know if she's ever been a field agent or if she was, she quickly came in from the cold, so to speak.
3: Yeah, I think this moment is the moment she was always afraid of. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. She sent all these agents into all these terrible things and never had to go herself. And now here she is face to face with the crazy man. And when he gives her that sort of toothy sneer, you know, look, it's like, holy shit. And he puts the gun in her hand. And he says, and again, I think this is a brilliant choice.
1: Free both
3: of us. Free both of us. With the same bullet. And he puts the gun to
2: her head and then puts his head on the other sides. Only you can do it. So let me ask you a question. Yes. Do you think he would have pulled away? No. Do you think he would have uh, gone down with her? Yes.
3: And not only that, because uh, that's not the question I thought you were going to ask. Okay. The question I thought you were going to ask is Do I think M was, if Bond doesn't show up, does M pull the trigger? And I think the answer is absolutely
2: yes. You think M pulls the trigger? Yes. Oh. Killing herself and Silva. No, I don't agree. I think she would kill him first, find some way to kill him first. But, you know, we'll, we'll disagree on that one, I think. Well, I, yeah. we can't know. I mean, like in my <laughs> mind, it's the
3: I fucked this up, didn't I? I don't want anyone else to die for me. Yeah. And that, and in this moment, and if he's holding her hand, he's, I mean, the size difference between the two of them, by the way, is really evident in the way it's filmed. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Javier, Judy Dench is not a big woman and Javier looks huge. And, uh, and and if he's holding her hand, she doesn't, can't move it anyway that she might go, this is the only choice and I can kill him and it'll be over. Yeah. That's my feeling. But uh, of course we don't know. Right. We don't know. Yeah. Uh, because (laughs) (laughs) they're, he says, Do it only you could do it. And then bam. There's that knife in Silva's back, and there's Bond in the door. Yeah. And Silva turns, and the frustration in his face as he realizes that he got that close and yeah. didn't finish it. And he drops to his knees and Bond says, Not rat standing. And Silva falls on
2: his face. Now, do you think this is a cop out of a death? Like we led to something much more magical that I thought was going to be more satisfying of a death, but a knife in the back, a knife in the back, right? The symbolism in that. Um. So I just, I thought it, it's always left me with a little bit of disappointment. Now this is, again, this is my favorite Bond film ever, but I always felt it was a little disappointing that there wasn't more between the both of them.
3: I felt the same way. I feel yeah. exactly the same way. And I, and, and, but I also go, a knife in the back is—that is the dishonorable way to kill someone, right? Right. It's—it's it's literally the 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 saying of yeah. doing something that is a betrayal. And this movie is all been about the practicality of of Bond and of yeah. M and that of that world. And so I do feel emotionally, I feel exactly where you feel. I also go like, well, maybe that's the point that they wanted to make, you know? Oh, maybe. Good point. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 007. What took you so long? And then we get get a quip. Oh, I got into some deep water. (laughs) And then she falls and we see, see the wound. I
0: suppose it's
3: too late to make a run for it. Well, I'm game if you're... And she says, and this is her last line. I did get one thing right. And then dies. Yeah. What is the one thing she got right? Bond, this bond, Absolutely. this bond, yeah,
2: yep.
3: Yeah. The, and this was her last shot in the film. They scheduled oh, it so yeah. that this was the last thing she filmed
2: chronologically,
3: yeah. Oh. And her first Bond movie is Goldeneye in 1995.
2: Mm-hmm. That's 18 years, 18 years of yeah, yeah. I think it's a super satisfying death. Oh, yes, you know? her as opposed to Bardem's, hers is a much more satisfying death. And I love the quick look between him and Albert Finney. Yeah. Albert's not going to give him false hope. He doesn't even say, he doesn't like, oh no, or anything like He just kind of looks at him like, you know, so, and who knows, maybe that's the same look Albert Finney gave him when he found out his parents were dead or something like that. I wonder if there's an evoking of something from the past in that exchange between the two of them. Cause they don't say a word to each other. They just look at each other before she looks back at him.
3: You know? Well, and the fact that his, his adopted mother dies in the place where his parents were buried. Yeah, good point. And he goes into the the priest hole or whatever it was called for 2 days and when he came out he wasn't a boy anymore. Yeah. And this is him becoming Bond again. Yeah, right. Like death, same place. It is a it is a transformation. And, and 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 I also think it's like, well, the movie starts with her ordering him shot. And the movie ends with her dying in his arms. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And he he kisses her Right, you know, yeah, which is a big thing for their relationship. Yeah, yeah, And then we cut to, and you remember I said, the choice was that when we first come to London, it is dark and rainy and that was their plan because this is the rebirth of Bond because now finally it's full sunlight, full daytime. Bond is standing on top of a rooftop looking out at this beautiful, beautiful view yeah. um, because he's back now.
0: I didn't even know you could come up here.
3: I thought you were going back out on active service.
0: I declined. You said it yourself. Fieldwork's not for everyone.
3: If it helps, I feel a lot safer. <laughs> and then she hands him the box, which of course is the bulldog.
0: Maybe it was her way of telling you to take a desk job.
3: Just the opposite. And then we cut to, and this is so great, is that the, the way they come into the room and the fact that she hangs up her coat on the coat rack. Mm-hmm is when, cause that is Sean Connery when he came into Moneypenny's office. I think Roger Moore did too. They always threw their hat on the coat rack and it stayed. Yeah. And so when I saw the coat rack, I went, oh shit. She's Penny." You know, we've never formally been introduced.
0: Oh, well, my name's Eve, Eve Moneypenny.
3: That's so awesome. Well, I look forward to our time together, Miss Moneypenny.
0: Me too. I'm sure we'll
3: have one or two close (laughs) shaves. Great line. Well, and it's so, because this is literally, I I just feel that they deliver so perfectly on what the intention is. Yep. Is we're going to take Bond apart, we're going to destroy everything about Bond, and then we're going to bring back Bond Mm -hmm. as
2: Bond, you know? Um, Yeah, and I'm not going to get too deep into this, but this is why I think people misunderstand Spectre. Now, I know a lot of people don't like that movie. I like that movie. He is back to being the Bond that we know, that we all enjoyed from the beginning, that Bond, right? He's going to do his thing. He's going to mix the old school with the new school. That's what this Bond is. Now that he's reborn, what did he say his favorite hobby is? Resurrection. Resurrection. Yeah. He is resurrected by the end of the movie. And the Casino Royale Bond is no longer here. As, as you so astutely pointed out, Steve, he went into that uh, what rectory for a couple of days and came out and he wasn't. Uh, a boy anymore he went to this uh fight with silva into that house the into the chapel came back out and he was a different bond uh and he wasn't that bond anymore and i think people kind of don't connect at the specter and you may have arguments about how good of a film it was or whatever but the they were like oh he's sleeping with women again he's doing these kinds of things." this is the bond this is the much more different bond the freer bond the bond that evokes the sean connery bond and I don't think that's a negative. And I, I saw so many people complaining about it. And I just didn't understand if they understood what the hell was going on in this movie and what they were doing with this character. So
3: I, I feel like I need to watch it again. I only saw it the once in the theater and I didn't particularly like it. But it had this great, I mean, Sam Mendes again, right? Yeah. Yeah. A- and I think it's Roger Deakins. Yes. So maybe I should give it another chance. Um, yeah. Uh, final scene, we walk into the office, and there is Mallory, and we have a little small talk about his arm, and then says,
2: So, 007, lots to be done. Are you ready to get back to work?
1: With pleasure, M. With pleasure.
3: Which is very satisfying, and then we get what we didn't get at the beginning of the movie, which is the iris gunshot and the blood, yeah. and then we get 50 years. James Bond will return. This movie was scheduled for a 133-day shoot. It took 128 days. Wow. We finished it ahead of schedule, which I find shocking. That is shocking. And just the sign of, like, that's a great team. This is yep. a team who knows how to do it. You know? well
2: old machine, yeah.
3: Good. It was made for $160 million. It made $1.1 billion dollars mm-hmm. it was the second highest grossing film of the year the seventh highest of all time it was nominated for a bunch of oscars uh cinematography score sound mixing sound editing uh which it won for and the song uh from adele won the oscar yeah and that is all the information i
2: have on skyfall yeah it is now the 23rd highest grossing film ever so you <laughs> clear there have been 18 more Uh, higher grossing films, which speaks to the box office and, and uh, the, uh, you know, the advent of uh, comic book movies for sure. And, and James Cameron, of course. Um, I I imagine you've just tossed me to me final thoughts. So I'll just go Steve, if that's okay. I suppose. Yeah. (laughs) Just happened that way. Here's what I'll say. I, uh, nothing about talking about it with Steve, rewatching it for this podcast has changed my mind about this film that it is the greatest James Bond film ever film ever made, and it still stands for me as the greatest James Bond film ever made. Even though I enjoyed Spectre and No Time to Die, this is the one that is the um, it is the Dark Knight of this franchise. It is just absolute the Logan of this franchise. It is absolutely the best of Bond, treated in such an artistic way while not forgetting the foundational parts that make Bond Bond. And that's what I love about this: an incredible story, fantastic performances from everybody throughout a tense fill story a a film that still 10 years later thrills you excites you gets you on the edge of your seats makes you laugh you know kind of um and satisfies you by the end and touches you by the end certainly the scene with him and em at the end so um if anything this revisit and conversation with you has made me uh has deepened my love for this film even more and deepened my appreciation for what a unique kind of james bond film that sam mendes created here um, and how it brought out the best of Daniel Craig as James Bond as well. I, I'll tell you the, the quote that keeps popping to my
3: mind. I'm not going to get it exactly right, but in our conversation with Mike Ross about Spinal Tap, <laughs> I, I think my favorite quote for the movie was it's something like, there's a there's a thin line between clever and stupid. <laughs> is that... Yes. Wh- what I think about this, because I agree with everything you said, is that the this is doing all the Bond stuff. Yeah, you've got yeah. the Bond supervillain with the plan. You've got the big action sequences. You've got the quips. You go to the beautiful locations. You have the beautiful women. You do all the stuff, and, and and you know you have a meeting with Q. You have all of the things. Yeah, and yet this movie is so much better and so much more serious and really moving to me. Yeah, yeah, and it just shows like what happens when you bring a great team together, all of whom are determined to make a great film. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. and it's, and to me, I really think as much as I praise Sam Mendez and obviously Roger Deakins and all of the people who work on it, the great performances all around. For me, what makes this movie is Dame Judy Dench and Daniel Craig. Yeah. It's the two of them, and just with sh- having so few lines that express any emotion that the whole movie is filled with emotion. Yeah. It is just emotionally powerful. And so what happens is, because you have that at its core, all the great Bond stuff just makes it a great movie. You know what I mean? Like that, that, That's all supporting what is already a great core story with these two characters.
2: Can I add something to what you said about Judy Dench? You could argue that Judy Dench is the lead of this movie. Mm. Right? You could argue it. She is the one that Silva's after. Silva tells the, uh, his henchman at the house after it blows up, just to make sure Bond is dead. He wants M. M and him one-on-one. That's the focus. The antagonist is after M, not James Bond. And so James Bond is just uh, something he has to get rid of to get to M. So you could argue that M is the the one that shoots James Bond or, or calls the order to shoot James Bond. M is the one that has to be vindicated. M is the one going up against the council. It's M consistently. So you could argue that in some interesting way, from some angle, that M is actually the lead of Skyfall even though it's a James Bond movie, which I think is a fascinating trick that James, Sam Mendes pulled off,
3: it, it, that's a great point. I, I would. Here is what I would think. Mm. I think what this is is a buddy movie. I mean, it's Uh-oh. not exactly, but, but it's not exactly a buddy movie. It doesn't have exactly that structure, right. but it's a two-hander. Yeah. Like normally, it's a Bond movie, and you meet M, and M has two or three scenes, and that's it. And this, right. it's it's intercut. We go M scene, Bond scene, yes. M scene, Bond scene, and the final act is the two of them coming together to win the battle. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. Yeah. So that is what we think of Skyfall. Of course, we'd love to hear your thoughts. Uh, you could visit us on our Facebook page. You could search for Cinefiles, C-I-N-E-F-I-L-E-S, Cine underscore files on Twitter, the Cinefiles podcast on Instagram. Those are all great places to interact with us and to share your comments and to direct with other Cinefiles fans who you could also find on Patreon.com slash the Cinefiles, which is, where uh people get to listen to our cinephile shorts our cinephiles watch alongs which include our watch along of from russia with love which is pretty pretty cool and i think we just decided on what our next watch along will be which will be a lot of fun yes that's on patreon.com slash cinephiles if you want to buy or stream skyfall Along with every other film we've ever reviewed, it's at cinephiles.net. And if you want to reach me, it's SR Morris on Twitter, SR Morris1 on Instagram, and Enterprise Incidents for all of your Star Trek needs. John, how
2: would folks find you? Yeah, you can always find me at the Roka says on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok, the Outlaw Nation on Twitch, and uh, my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash John Roca uh, and my other podcasts, uh, the uh, uh, the geek buddies and the hot mic that are out there for you all to enjoy. And I do want to add even more of an underline of the Patreon. Um, You've got to uh, take a look at these things if you can, folks, and look at the tiers that are available and the benefits. We keep adding stuff. We've got a new thing that Steve and I talked about the other day uh, that is going to be connected to the Bond thing that we're going to release for our patrons exclusively. And this is the kind of content that we are really focusing on delivering to our patrons more and more more bang for your buck and so if you come aboard and support us or jump a tier trust me you're going to get a lot of return for your investment here on the Cinephiles. and uh, we appreciate all of you who've been uh, supporting us through the years but uh, if you can you know m- increase your support or come aboard as a patron it helps us move to the next level and certainly it seems like uh, we are moving towards that direction uh, more and more every day which is great for us and for you all as well here here uh and so i think that's it for this week now you can hang the bunting (laughs)
3: hang the bunting and i think that's it for this week you can see you next week for another great film on the cinephiles